This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Fantasy, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. This is your host, Gabrielle Matthew. Today, we'll be talking to Jennifer Eastup about her first book in the new fantasy series. It's called Capture the Crown. Capture the Crown is set in the same world as her Crown of Shards series, and focuses on two protagonists we last met as children, Princess Gemma and Prince Leonidas, and their duel of wits as they try to manage their mutual attraction. An enemies to lovers story with mythological beasts as pets, this new novel is sure to appeal to Jennifer's many fans. Here's my review. Princess Gemma Ripley is famous for her glittering outfits in which she flounces through countless parties and balls. There is another side to her, though. Her duties as a royal also include putting on a disguise and spying in order to discover any trouble in her father's kingdom of Anvari. There is almost sure to be trouble at any time, given their neighbors the ruthless rulers of the kingdom of Morta, who hate the Anvarians. Gemma finds out firsthand just how ruthless the Mortons are when heir apparent Leonidas kidnaps her after an injury and brings her back to the Morton Palace. Luckily, Leonidas has no idea who she is. Or does he? Complicating matters is that he's a hunk with a heart and seems to be attracted to Gemma. In meantime, Gemma is ideally placed to find out why Leonidas' fiendish half-brother, Milo, is secretly assembling vast stocks of tearstone. That is, if she can survive without losing her heart or her life. So I'm going to welcome Jennifer on the show. Hello, Jennifer, and thank you for joining us to discuss Capture the Crown. Thanks for having me. So let's jump into the questions. You set up the reader in the first page by introducing Gemma with the following paragraph. I love being a princess. The beautiful gowns, the sparkling jewels, the scrumptious food. As we get to know Gemma, 
we realize she's not a spoiled princess. Not only is she willing to endure hardship and danger to help her country, she actively seeks these missions out. Do you enjoy playing against readers' expectations? I do. You know, I've I sort of think of Capture the Crown as almost like a, a Robin Hood or a Scarlet Pimpernel type of story, where you have the main character who is very kind of flashy and showy and over the top in a lot of ways, but they have these um, hidden layers to them. You know, mm-hmm. much like Robin Hood and the Scarlet Pimpernel do. And so that was kind of one of my ideas and inspiration for the character of Gemma. You know, I to the outside world, everybody thinks that she is this really spoiled, pampered princess. But, you know, she has a lot of hidden layers and depths, and she really leans into those um, perceptions of her so she can, you know, go about these secret missions and do the things to help her kingdom. So she takes many risks while she's spying on the Morton Castle. Her father begs her to come home. She's already given him some important information, but she won't come home. What is her motivation, or maybe she has several, for continuing to expose herself to possible discovery? Does she have doubts about her own courage or other things that she wants to stay in Morta for? I definitely think she has doubts about her own courage. Uh, You know, Capture the Crown is set in my Crown of Shards world. This is the second trilogy. Um, In the first trilogy, Gemma was a young girl, and she survived a royal massacre. So that has really um, shaped how she perceives pretty much everything in her life, including herself, because she was a kid during the massacre, so she didn't really do anything to try to stop it or, or help people or anything like that, and she couldn't because she was a kid. So now in Capture the Crown, she's 29 and she's all grown up, but she still feels like she has to make up for what she perceives as her cowardice, you know, during the royal massacre in the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the reasons, you know, that, that she stays in Morta kind of behind enemy lines for so long. And um, the other thing is, you know, as she's grown up, she's seen all these great heroes, you know, other queens like Everly Blair, um, again, from the from Kill the Queen in the original Crown of Shards series. So, you know, these are the people that she looks up to and she idolizes and she kind of thinks, you know, what would these other people do? And she thinks, well, they would stay here and try to get as much information as possible. So a lot of it is tied up with, you know, her wanting to prove herself, her trying to be the same kind of heroine that she has seen these other people be, um, and things like that. So it's a lot of, um, it is dangerous, but to Gemma, you know, it's also worth the risk to get the information to help her kingdom, but a lot of it is tied up kind of in her own perception of herself and, you know, trying to prove her own self-worth to herself. You mentioned uh the different people have been influences on Gemma, the courageous people she's known. On one of those mentors is Xenia, who is a spy master and a morph. Uh, for readers who are new to your world, can you explain what a morph is and what kind of morphs there are? Um, sure. Well, in Capture the Crown, in my Crown of Shards world, um, you know, you have several different types of magic users, and morphs are basically shapeshifters because they can morph into this other creature. Um, they can go from being looking like a regular human to morphing into something bigger and stronger and faster and deadlier. Uh, 
Zinya, you know, uh, Gemma's mentor, um, she's basically one of the the most talented spies in all the kingdoms, and she can shift into an ogre. So that's one of the forms. And um, in the course of Capture the Crown, uh, Gemma also meets someone who can turn into um, a dragon. So there are ogre and dragon morphs. And it's one of the things where I kind of leave it a little open-ended in the books. And so the other morphs will probably pop up as my (laughs) imagination creates them. (laughs) You never... You never want to, like, paint yourself into a, a corner, too much of a corner as an author, because that's when you'll have this great idea for this magical creature or this wonderful new thing, but then, like, your world-building rules won't let you stick it in there. So I try to be a little a little <laughs> vague about stuff like that. It just saves me some headache in the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the kingdom of Andvari and the kingdom of Morta each have a mythological species that is associated with the royal house of the respective country. And we've got the royal heirs, Leonides and Gemma. And tell us a bit about the relationships that they each have with those creatures. Well, first of all, I love writing about magical creatures and magical objects and artifacts and things like that. So they appear in in quite a few of my fantasy books, um, whether they're urban fantasy or epic fantasy like Capture the Crown is. So uh, Jenna is the crown princess of Anvari, um, which is a very wealthy kingdom, and sort of their um, unofficial creature. uh, Jenna has a pet gargoyle named Grimly. So you have a lot of gargoyles in Anvari. They uh, nest on the rooftops and the business the, of the homes and the businesses um, throughout the kingdom. And then she has this very personal, special connection to to her own gargoyle, Grimly. Um, you know, he's basically her best friend. They can communicate telepathically, um, and they've they've basically grown up together. So uh, that's kind of her relationship with with the gargoyle Grimly, and then Leonidas from Morta, he has the same sort of relationship, um, but it, the kind of unofficial creature of Morta is a Strix, which is kind of an oversized hawk-like bird um, that people can ride, just like they can ride the gargoyles in my world. And Leonidas's Strix is named Lyra, and, you know, it's, he, that's one of the things between him and Gemma where they're very similar they have the same kind of uh, mind, kind of telepathic magic, which they use to communicate with their respective creatures. And, you know, they've both grown up with their creatures. So that's, that similarity between the two of them is one of the things that, that draws them together. He's a compelling and complicated figure. And uh, depending on how he's viewed, we could say, why does he help Gemma at all? Or maybe, why doesn't he help her more than he does? Um, I think in a lot of ways, Leonidas is very conflicted because, um, you know, Morta is kind of like the evil kingdom, quote, unquote. And then his mother, um, Queen Maven, is actually the villain from the original Crown of Shards series. So where Gemma kind of grew up idolizing all these heroes, you know, Leonidas grew up uh, where his mom is a villain, pretty much. Everybody views her as a villain, and she's done some really, truly awful things. So I think a lot of Leonidas's journey is trying to balance um, his duty to his family and his affection for his mother, but still realizing that she's done a lot of awful things to a lot of people, and he doesn't necessarily want to follow in her footsteps. 
so for him, I think it's it's really it's a tough balancing act, um, trying to figure out what kind of person he wants to be while still, you know, doing his duty to his kingdom and having this relationship with his mother and um, trying to protect her interests as well as his own. And then, you know, along the way, he develops these feelings for Gemma, which kind of further complicates matters. So, yeah, it's one of those. He was a really interesting character to write because he is, he does kind of have all these shades of gray going mm-hmm. on with his with his personality and the things that he does and the things that he doesn't do and that sort of thing. Gemma lacks a mother and Leonidas lacks his father. Uh, we've already talked about his relationship with his mother how is her relationship with her father, Dominic? Um, it's pretty much kind of the polar opposite of Leonidas's relationship with Maven. I mean, between Maven and Leonidas, there's kind of a lot of wariness and distrust. You know, they love each other, but they still there's a lot of tension, and they don't really see things the same way, and they don't do things the same way. But with Gemma, you know, she's grown up with this very loving, supportive father, who is, you know, always there for her no matter what. You know, he he doesn't necessarily like her being a spy, but he understands why she wants to do it, and he tries to support her as much as he can. So in, in a lot of ways, Gemma's relationship with her father is the complete opposite of Leonidas's with his mother. And again, that's another interesting contrast that I thought it would be fun to write about is, you know, how do their familial relationships impact the relationship that they try to have with each other? Um, because there's the two families, you know, have kind of been sort of in a cold war for the past several years, and there's been a lot of bad blood between the, the two families over the centuries. And then you kind of have this almost a Romeo and Juliet type of a story with uh, Gemma and Leonidas. And it was it was just really interesting to me to kind of, parallel and contrast the two of them in a lot of different ways, including their relationships with their parents. Mm-hmm. With uh, Maven's salute to Gemma at the end and our puzzling words, well done, Gemma, we're left to make some inferences. Is Maven paying her to respect you to being a worthy adversary, or was there some other purpose to her acknowledgement? Uh, Maven is actually one of my, probably one of my all-time favorite characters to write, and she's definitely a villain, but she also respects, you know, strength in other people, cleverness, and she sees those things in Gemma. You know, Gemma might have sort of um, defeated Maven in some aspects, and Maven can appreciate and acknowledge that. It's sort of like, um, you know, to football teams who are engaged in a really competitive, intense, fierce game, you know, they still shake hands after the end of the game. And to me, that's kind of like Maven's acknowledgement of Gemma is, you know, you thwarted me in in this thing, but I can still kind of tip my hat to you and acknowledge that you got the best of me this time. Um, <laughs> this time. <laughs> and this, this time, yeah, Maven is, uh, Queen Maven is never one to uh, be down and out for very long, and she's always scheming something else. And um, I don't want to go too much into spoiler territory, right. but there is, uh, there is also another, some more subtext and kind of Maven's acknowledgement of Gemma that readers will learn more about as the series goes along. Okay. So... Let's end with something lighthearted. 
Gemma enjoys nourishing and delicious breakfasts. I noticed she has hot oatmeal, <laughs> hot oatmeal topped with dried figs, almonds, and flakes of chocolate and cinnamon. Or another time, she has light, airy pancakes that were stuffed with blackberries, accompanied by sage-flavored sausages. And I wondered if you were a big breakfast fan. I I do like breakfast, and it's kind of odd because it's like the one meal that I never make for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I get up in the mornings, you know, I usually just have like some fruit or a granola bar or something like that. I never make a big elaborate breakfast like what Gemma has in the books. Um, and one of the things that I'm sort of known for in all of my books is writing about food. Uh, I I love to write about food. I think it's just something so fun and cool, you know, to come up with the different dishes that people eat. And I get so many comments, you know, from people saying that, oh, my gosh, this scene with the food made me hungry. And, <laughs> you know, now I want breakfast or now I want barbecue or, or whatever the thing is that I'm writing about. So, yeah, it's just been writing about food has been a fun way for me to kind of connect with readers. Well, thanks so much for taking time out. How do your readers keep up with you the best? Can you tell us what social media you prefer, where to find you? Um, Folks can find information about my books along with the release dates, the buy links, and the excerpts that's all on my website, which is www.jenniferestep.com. And I'm also pretty active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you search for Jennifer Estep Author, you can find me on those platforms. I also, on my website, if you go to the, um, I want to say it's the contact page, you can sign up for my email newsletter. I usually send that out a couple of times a month. Uh, that features, you know, all my latest book news, if I'm doing an ebook sale or something like that. I also do book recommendations. Sometimes I'll include a recipe. <laughs> and then folks can, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I write about food. I have to I have to include some food recipes. You do. And then um, folks can also follow me on Amazon, BookBub, and Goodreads. <laughs> okay. And what project are you working on now, Jennifer? I am getting ready to start the page proofs for Tear Down the Throne. That will be book two in Gemma's series, the Gargoyle Queen series. And Tear Down the Throne will be out on May 3rd, 2022. Uh, You can go ahead and pre-order that online at all the usual places. And then after that, you know, I'll do a final bit of probably proofreading and a little answer a few more questions about the book. And then I will start thinking about um, book three in the series, and that one is going to be called Conquer the Kingdom. And that one will be out, I think, in March of 2023. Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to me today on the New Books Network in Fantasy. I've been talking to Jennifer Estep about the first novel in her new fantasy series, Capture the Crown. In November, Greta Kelly and I will be discussing the conclusion of her warrior witch duology, The Seventh Queen. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more, at Gabrielle Author. My name is spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E, so tune in next time.